0: If God is calling you, don't say no. Don't be cowards. Mm. And that was sounding on me, and I said, I'm not going to be a coward. I know that God was calling me, so I decided, bye-bye, aviation. Go to these oceans.
1: Welcome back to Valdoco, everybody—a Slesian family podcast. I'm Father Steve, and I'm actually here on my own right now. Vicky is down in Florida. Amy is working, uh, and I'm on the last day of my retreat um, here at the Marian Shrine. And our preacher for the retreat has been Cardinal Oscar Rodriguez uh, from Honduras, and he has so graciously accepted a moment just to sit down and have a conversation. So I am here now with uh, with the Cardinal. How are you doing? Very well. Very happy,
0: dear brother. Because I said, since 1978, I have been an external solution. <laughs> it's not easy to be out of the community. But let me tell you, I have been feeling all these years a solution.
1: Amen. And the Cardinal actually was able to come for our ordination. So we had two young men uh, ordained to the priesthood uh, a few weeks ago. Um, now Father Joshua and Father Brandon and uh, Cardinal Oscar was able to be there to, to be the ordaining bishop. So we we're a great blessing to have a Salesian there to ordain them. And uh, yeah, just to begin the conversation, maybe just to speak a little bit about your... So you're from Honduras. Um, so maybe just a little bit about how it was as a child there. And when did you meet the Salesians? And what was that light of, like meeting the Salesians? And those, those kind of things of, your, of the beginning.
0: Of course. First of all, I was born... 80 years ago Mm. (laughs) in Tegucigalpa, that was a little town at that time, maybe I would say around 100,000 inhabitants. Now it's approaching 2 million, the same city. And of course, Honduras was a very tiny nation and uh, there was a lot of young people I grew up in a family of four, three brothers and one sister, my parents of course, and an aunt that lived with us. And uh, when I was six years old, my father took me to the Cilician school because he was going to confession with a priest there. When I saw the school and I saw the kids playing. In the playground, and I heard music, I said, this is my place. Because my vocation was, first, to be an educator. I loved that. Even being a child, I was trying to explain to my friends in the neighborhood, and to teach them many things, not catechism. But aviation, Ah. because since I was very young, I loved aviation. My first memories are flying in planes, because at that time, Honduras didn't have a lot of uh, roads. And so we were flying from one town to another. There was an airline that was communicating. So I learned... Because in my family, there has been pilots as well. Mm. And I believe aviation is in in your veins. In the blood. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but so I entered the school and I spent 11 years in the solution School. It was my family. I was delighted to be there. Okay, and I wanted to go to the aspirant, to be an aspirant. When I ended the sixth grade, the grammar school. Mm-hmm. But when I asked my father, <laughs> yeah. he said, You're going nowhere because you're too, too, how could I say, like, then is the minute. <laughs> they are going to send you back the following week. So, whenever you would like to be after high school, myself, I will take you to the seminary, but not now. I was so disappointed and I said, okay, I'm not going to be a priest, but I'm, I'm going to be a pilot. And so I was all the time reading aviation books and magazines and I learned English to read manuals and magazines of aviation. Wow. And, of course, I learned to fly when I was 14 in a clandestine way in an aero club of Honduras <laughs> that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> but I learned and I flew, not solo flying because this requires at least, at least, let me tell you, maybe 30 hours. Okay. And I couldn't do that because it was clandestine. Yeah. Anyhow, but when we were in the 10th grade, we had a retreat. And the preacher was saying, if God is calling you, don't say no. Don't be cowards. Mm. And that was sounding on me. And I said, I'm not going to be a coward. I know that God was calling me. So I decided by by aviation go to the solutions so that's why i ended my high school and i went to the aspirant in el salvador then novitiate in el salvador then philosophy as well and then also tirocinium two years in el salvador and one in honduras and then theology in guatemala yeah. when i was ordained in guatemala then, after two years, I was sent to Rome. I studied moral theology and then clinical psychology in Austria. And when I came back, I was appointed director of the Philosophate. And that was all because after three years, the Holy Father kidnapped me <laughs> and appointed me auxiliary bishop in Tegucigalpa. Okay. I have been bishop now for 45 years. It's, you know.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, and now you've returned back to teaching. No? Yeah, oh, I have been teaching my uh-huh. whole life. Oh, yeah, I yeah. never
0: oh, quit, never, never. Teaching, especially moral theology, which is my subject, and clinical psychology, I was practicing as long as I was a priest. Okay. But as bishop was not possible. Yeah. The work is
1: enormous. Yeah, And so now speaking of, of being a bishop... Um, maybe something beautiful that you have seen your experience as a bishop and seeing the universal church and then okay eventually being uh, named a cardinal so you've seen so much of our of our universal church maybe some beautiful aspects or beautiful things that you've experienced yes
0: our lord has been very generous to me you know because from the very beginning of my episcopate i was appointed first delegate to selam which is the Episcopal Council of Latin America. It makes, uh, together, at that time, there were 1,200 bishops Mm. in Latin America. And I was part of that organization, first in the Department of Education, then in Pastoral of the Youth, then in Religious Life, then General Secretary, then Treasurer, and then President. So I spent 24 years serving in Selam That gave me the possibility of knowing all the uh, Bishops' Conferences of Latin America, from Mexico to Chile, yeah. Antilles included. But then I was also appointed in some Dicasteries of the Vatican, in the clergy, in justice and peace, in education, religious life. So I had the opportunity also of learning the world. And as we say, as the cherry in the cake. (laughs) Cherry on top. (laughs) Yes. I was uh, appointed, elected president of Caritas International, who gave me the possibility that was... Two periods at four years every period. And I was learning the five continents. I had to travel all around. It was not easy. People say, oh, beautiful travel. (laughs) It's good when you go for holidays. But flying sometimes 23 hours just to be in a meeting of three days and then come back. Mm. (laughs) I didn't need any extraordinary penance (laughs) because flying was my penance to a pilot that loves flying but (laughs) this is the the way it goes my experiences were beautiful and you know I want to share one of these when we went to different meetings of SELAM I was always asking I would like to go to the solution community Mm. And I heard many times other bishops saying this man is lucky because he has family wherever he goes. And this for me has been the most beautiful experience as a legion. Whenever I went, I found family. And the spirit of family of our congregation must never be lost. Never because it's a gift that Don Bosco gave us, you know. I knew all other congregations, no congregations has the spirit of family we have. Yeah, so we need to cultivate it and to continue because it's a blessing, it's a great gift, amen.
1: And then, uh, (coughs) as a cardinal, okay, you've been to the different uh, conclaves of the Pope, and you've actually done two, no? So, for yes. Pope, Pope Benedict, and then for Pope Francis. Yes,
0: I was lucky with that. You know, I never thought I was thought I was going to be a cardinal. Yeah. Never, for a solution for me, the school, the playground, and the chapel; <laughs> those were my playing fields. But then, the church asked me this service as a bishop and then as a cardinal. It was John Paul II, St. John Paul II, who appointed me. You know, I never knew that I was going to be a cardinal, not even suspected (laughs) because we are so tiny, a small country in the past. Cardinals were appointed to the big seats, yeah. uh, the big cities, etc. Now, Francis has changed, mm. but I was appointed by John Paul II yeah. as Cardinal Bergoglio, the, yeah. our pastor, yes. a Pope now, and has been also a beautiful experience. A conclave, of course, I cannot talk. Right. about any secrets of the conclave, <laughs> but I can give you my impressions. I wish that all the elections in the world would be like the election of a new vote. No propaganda, no speeches or things, or they and vote for these or for that. No. It's an atmosphere of prayer from the very beginning when we entered to the conclave, first to the pre-conclave because in the pre-conclave all the cardinals, even those who are not allowed to vote anymore, can participate and give their opinions and talk. For the first, it was particular because only two have been in a previous conclave. But in the second, almost all had been in the previous. And so in the first, it was time to study the Constitution to elect a Pope. And then we were divided or organized in groups in order to give a big panoramic vision of the continent. America, Asia, Africa, etc. On the other hand, for the other conclave, you could express your opinion mm. in the pre. One of them was that the Pope Benedict was not clearly informed about everything. And there was like a filter in Secretary of State and in Nunciatures. So, one cardinal was proposing why not making like a council of cardinals from the grassroots, for instance, one of each continent. And so the Holy Father could have this complete vision of the reality from the base. Mm. Okay, Cardinal Bergoglio was listening to that. <laughs> and so, on the very first Saturday, we elected him on Wednesday. On Saturday, he called me. He said, Listen, what are you doing <laughs> after the Angelus? That was a big surprise because the popes never phoned anyone. Mm. Never, but never. <laughs> and Francis started like that. The first person he called was the dealer of newspapers <laughs> in the kiosk <laughs> near his apartment in Buenos Aires. Telling him, listen, I, unfortunately, I'm not buying your the newspapers anymore. Why? <laughs> because I was elected Pope, he said. <laughs> that was it. Okay, and he called me and said, listen, what are you doing Sunday in uh, after the Angelus? I said, whatever you say, Holy Father. Okay, come to me. And we had lunch together, only the two of us. And he started saying... I went to the apartment. I'm not going to live there because I need people. I need to be with the people and that is a prison. I wouldn't (laughs) like to be in a prison. And so he said, I'm going to live here in Santa Marta. What do you think? I said, I never thought about this, but I think it's okay. And It's been demonstrated that it was okay because in the apartment in the pontifical palace only those who were given an audience in the Prefectura di Casa Pontificia were able to have an audience with the Pope, Mm. maybe twenty minutes and that's all. In Santa Marta he calls. The people he wants and the time he wants. And so he's free. And before Covid he would celebrate in the Mass every single morning, inviting people from the parishes of Rome. And after the mass greeting each one that was extraordinary. And and you know, the first people he invited for the Mass were the gardeners yeah. of the Vatican. People that maybe were there for 30 years and never had the opportunity of greeting the Holy Father. This is, I am afraid I'm taking too much
1: time. No, no, here. I just wanted to make sure it was still going. <laughs> I don't want to lose this. <laughs> okay. But, and so, the Pope told me,
0: I want to make a council of cardinals with this, 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 this. He has everything in his mind. Would you dare to coordinate? I said, Holy Father, if you ask me, I have to do it. <laughs> and so that was the story of the last 10 years. years.
1: Beautiful. That is that is beautiful. And obviously, okay, Pope Francis is uh, controversial at times, you know, but you're a close friend. You no? Know? You're a friend of his, so... You've told some stories over this week, but maybe if you have just one, one story, simple story of, of Pope Francis that you, you've really learned from, something that you have taken with you, that you...
0: Almost every meeting we had, well, one of the strongest was after the, um, the big mass and the, and the closing of the um, International Day of Families in Ireland. Well, before the mass, a beautiful mass, half a million persons there. My goodness, it's cold because (laughs) Ireland is always (laughs) like that. But we were happy to participate. And then a letter of a certain Monsignor was published asking for the resignation of the Pope. And let me tell you, I was so angry that was a very difficult Mass for me to celebrate. And I said, "I, I am not worthy to receive the Holy Communion being so angry. Forgive me, my Lord. But then I decided, yes, I will repent and I will receive the Holy Communion. Okay. But when the Mass ended, the Pope went out and we were asked, after some minutes, you may go as well. When we entered that place, there was waiting for us. And I gave him a hug and told him in his ear, Holy Father, I am so angry for this bandit. And he told me, don't lose peace. I am at peace. Then I was feeling like clear water coming on me and I was at peace. Since then, of course, in a life of a bishop there is a lot of things each day, but I learned not to lose peace. And this was one of the biggest lessons I have learned from him who is attacked every single day yeah. and he never loses peace.
1: Beautiful. And uh, just two more, two more questions. Okay, so you said over this, this retreat that uh, one of the biggest reforms of Pope Francis, you would say, would be this synodality and the synod and the synodal, synodal way. Um, obviously, that we could give a whole course on this, yes. but maybe just a few words to kind of orientate us in this uh, or kind of encourage us to continue on this way.
0: That we have to put together all the talents that the Holy Spirit is given to the holy, holy people of God. And this is what sometimes was kept hidden. And when the Pope wrote the letter Gaudete et Exsultate, talking about holiness, he said, we have to be near our neighbor of the other door, the next door. Because many times there is a lot of holiness in the people of God. And so, I believe between our young people whom we serve as solutions, there is a lot of holiness. And we need to continue enhancing and cultivating this. Because this is one of the big intuitions of Don Bosco, how to lead the young people. And let me tell you, they were not easy. They were gangs <laughs> in the train station of Torino. Oof, thieves and, <laughs> and pickpocketers. And Don Bosco made saints of this young people. It's the same now. The youth is not is not lost. The youth is in our hands we can make a lot of good with Tom Bosco to them. Amen.
1: So last is maybe give us, if, you're, if you had a group of young people in front of you right now, so some will be listening to this podcast, maybe just give some advice. Yes. Some, some parting advice from Cardinal Oscar.
0: Don't be afraid of Christ. He's your friend. He loves you. And he wants to walk side by side with you. And this is the best gift a young can have in his own life. Pope Benedict told us, I recall, in the first homily he made us Pope, don't be afraid. Christ is coming to you and he's taking anything from you. On the contrary, he's giving all to you. So don't be afraid to you open your hearts and your love to Christ and you will discover the better
1: gift that God can give to the young. Beautiful. Amen. And so at the end of every podcast, <clears throat> we always have the, the guests kind of pray, lead us in a prayer. I don't know if you would be willing to kind of just close this whole conversation out with, course, with the prayer. Of
0: course, why not? Okay, okay. Dear Lord, dear Jesus Christ, we love you, and we are delighted to share with you this podcast, we know that you love the young, and you want them to be holy, to be saints, as Carlo Acutis Try to infuse in all the jo- the young generation of this beautiful country, to recognize that the Holy Spirit is not in holidays, nor sleeping a siesta, but inspiring the wish of holiness, and especially the desire to be something good for this society, for the church, and for our congregation. We ask this in the presence of Mary, help of Christians, our mother, and the lady that will teach us, especially love, because each one of us is called to love and to build himself or herself in love by the teachings of Mary help of Christians.
1: Amen. Amen. So thank you very much for everybody for listening. Thanks for your patience. We were, we were gone for a long time, but we hope to uh, yeah, get back on a weekly, weekly releasing of the podcast. And we're glad we we're able to start here with, with Cardinal Oscar. So thank you Cardinal for your presence and your time. Uh, yeah. See everybody. See everybody next week. God bless. Bye.